Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. We certainly hope if this is your first time that it won't be your last time. And then if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you. And together we're grateful that you found time to join us today. And so as we lean into this season, we're just a couple weeks away from Lent. Ash Wednesday is actually March 2nd. We'll be having an in-person Ash Wednesday experience here in the building. And as you think about that, just the idea over the next number of weeks, we're going to lean into just trying to better understand what God's doing. And one particular way is through the March of Prayer that's going to be coming up here in Mansfield uh, during the month of March. This is the fourth year for it. You'll find here in the worship notes a link to a poster that you can download. Uh, We will be hosting here in our space on March 29th, uh, the last week of the uh, experience. And it's just been an amazing time over the last couple of years. It's had to pivot and change and feel different. But this year, we feel as though God is leading us in a whole new way. And so I'm grateful for Paul Lintern and all the churches that have stepped up. There's 30 churches. Uh, There's actually, I think, 32 experiences based on just uh, some opportunities that are before us. There's all sorts of differences in how the experience will be that for you if you show up. We will be live streaming each night on the God's Field Facebook page. So would you join us in praying for what God might do as we make a statement of standing in solidarity here in our community for the kingdom? I hope you'll look forward to that with me. Why? It's a simple question with no simple answers. Why now? Why this? Why me? Is God even here? Is he listening? How can we know? We've made it through dark times before, and I want to have faith, but I still wonder, why? I'm excited for this new series we're beginning today because I know in this current season, there's so many people that have sort of checked out of church. And for a number of reasons, One, I think people are struggling with their faith, especially coming through the pandemic. I think many of us have had questions that are so hard that you probably wouldn't say them out loud. Or maybe there's a doubt that you face that's so big that you don't think you can share it, and especially in a faith community. And so this next couple of weeks, we're going to be leaning into just some questions that I think people have had. And I'm going to try, without poking the bear too much, to try to answer them as we look at Scripture title of the series is called Ever Wonder Why? And so this morning, we're going to begin with the idea of why did God let it happen? We've all been in worship experiences where we hear the phrase, God is good. And usually someone responds all the time. And then the leader will say all the time, we say, God is good, right? But I think for many of us, have you ever doubted that? I know I have, and I know it doesn't seem good, right? I mean, when we think about how complicated our lives can be, I mean, whether we lose a job or whether our parents got divorced or if we have a spouse that leaves us or the season of, of having so much uh, turmoil in our world with um, maybe a loved one who died or maybe some economic issues that are, we're all facing together or the social unrest or the political unrest. And, and yet, have you asked the question, why? Have you ever had migraines or been depressed or Have you ever faced a deep temptation to go someplace that maybe you shouldn't? And yet we know that every day we all try to do good and we try pretty hard at that. And yet for many, they're just not happy. And then when we think about the global 
world. We think about the unrest right now in Syria and what's going on in Russia on the, the border of the Ukraine. It's just such a crazy time. A picture showed up earlier this morning on my Facebook feed from a friend in the Ukraine. It shows uh, Christians there in the Ukraine praying uh, in, in a city park. The idea of wars, uh, what's going on around the world, why is it that innocent people suffer? And so the title of this morning's message is, Why Did God Let It Happen? And so let's pray. Father, we pray your presence into our conversation this morning. May we just consecrate this time to you. And may we, as we lean into difficult conversation, may we see you in the midst of it. May you help through your Holy Spirit to make real what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus, may you encourage us as we try to be people of faith and live faithfully in a world that so desperately needs to know about you. In your strong name we pray. Amen. So the question is, why did God let it happen? I think this is a question that's been asked since the beginning of time. Now, about 300 years before Jesus' birth, there was a Greek philosopher named Epicurus. And he, so he came to some conclusions. And let's begin with those this morning. First, he said, if God is not able to prevent evil, then he is not all-powerful. And then his second statement is that if God is not willing to prevent evil, then he is not all good. And then third, if God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? Now, this is a, one of those big questions that we wrestle with uh, in our faith journey. And we know that evil and suffering, I want us to see, and we're, as we look into scripture this morning, that it is not contrary to the story of the Bible. In fact, I want us to see in the story that God's written and continues to write, is that evil and suffering is a central part of the story that God has for us. And so let me begin with this big idea that Christianity makes sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the evil and suffering that we experience. Let me say that again. Christianity makes sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the evil and the suffering we experience. Now, we know that the foundation of our faith uh, this, in the Word of God is that the Bible doesn't avoid the idea of pain or evil or suffering. And we see in so many different expressions in Scripture, especially, this idea of anguish and confusion, rage and suffering and pain. When we look through the Old Testament, we see uh, the prophet Jeremiah. He was actually called the weeping prophet because he wails uh, literally cries out loud because of the people that are unrepentant of their sins. And then as we walk through the book of uh, Psalms in particular, we see as David lays out to us his, his cries and his anguish, and he actually calls out to God's heart. Uh, you know, are you listening, God? Do you even care? And then we get to the New Testament, and we run into this guy named John the Baptist, and we know that he's preparing the way for Jesus. For Jesus's first advent. Now we're going to be in uh, Psalms here this morning. I want to look at a couple Psalms in particular that are written by a uh, prophet and a poet by the name of Asaph. So not all of uh, Psalms is written by David, if you didn't know that. And this poet and prophet really gives some perspective on the things that we need to wrestle through. Here in Psalm 73, he says, what does God know, they ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. 
Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. So the question we wrestle through, right, is if God is loving, why would he allow suffering? Well, I'm going to try to pull this together. I've thought a lot about this. Let me begin first with this idea. If love is a choice, then suffering is a possibility. Let me say that again. If love is a choice, suffering is a possibility. Now, what I mean by that is that the only way that love is possible is to have a choice. I mean, we've just celebrated Valentine's Day this past week, right? And so as we think about that person in our life that we love, that we've made a choice to love them in spite of their faults, in spite of their idiosyncrasies, that there's a deepness that we have in this uh, relationship in our human lives. And all that comes to this through the idea of this thing called free will. Now, what is free will? Well, that gets us, can get us into trouble theologically, and so I don't want to go too deep a dive on it because there's lots of conversation around it when we think about God and the idea of free will. But I do want to say that free will is basically this. It's the ability to choose whether we love or hate. It's the ability to choose whether we want to be right or we want to be wrong. And to be honest, as we look at it, it's what makes evil and the suffering in our lives possible. So the question that I can remember when I worked at, uh, at Ashland University that a lot of college students had, and still do, I'm sure, and I'm going to guess even more so in this current season, is uh, why did God give us free will? And I want us to see here the, this morning that the only way love is possible is because of that. And it's because that God didn't want a rock or he didn't want a robot. What he wanted was a relationship. Now, the truth is that in order to have freedom, we have to choose love. And we can also choose evil. And so there is that tension, and it's grounded in this idea of free will. Now, when we choose evil, it really is about choosing sin, because sin is what has led to the pain and suffering. As we've talked, as we walked through this last series on the book of Revelation, to be reminded that our story began in the garden, and there was a time before the fall that life was good and life was full and life was rich. And then the fall happened and then sin entered in and changed the whole story that God was writing. So for, for God to remove evil and suffering, he's going to have to remove our freedom to choose or he has to remove us because of who we are as humans. And the truth is we rarely ask if there is no God who decides there's evil, right? We know that true freedom, if people really want freedom from all rules and regulations, that it's uh, chaos, right? So there has to be an authority or there has to be a standard by which we judge things. And so if there is no God, then there's no moral point of reference in our world. And the reality is I don't think, if we're honest, that we can uh, use the presence of evil or the, the presence of suffering as proof that God doesn't exist. You see, our reality is that our belief in evil and suffering is more proof that he does. That's what I want us to see. Because the, the truth is, suffering isn't evidence of the lack of love, because we see it every day, right? I mean, think about it. See, if we go to a physical therapist, they walk us through that. So in the summer of 2020, I leaned through a season with a physical therapist to deal with some issues in my shoulders and my neck. And I wasn't real happy with my friend, Justin, who happens to be an elder at Ashland First Pres. 
But the reason I did it is because I knew as I leaned into it that something better was going to come from it, that the issues that I had was going to be resolved or at least given a better understanding of. Or if you go to see a counselor, where the counselor, where do they take you? Well, they usually walk you back into the past. Do you want to do that? Probably not. But that's the only way that we can find health. And for all these things, it's really this idea that there's something better that's coming. Now, how about being a parent to a child, right? I mean, we discipline our child. Uh, None of us really want to inflict pain. But we also know that we need to do that because uh, we can help them become uh, civil human beings, uh, that there's something better coming for them, and that we can help them stay uh, from off the path of, of, of evil and of suffering, of making bad choices. So fundamentally, we get to this larger question of why do bad things happen to good people? There's lots of books that have been written on that. Now, here, here's where the, it gets kind of messy, because we have to point out the truth is that we aren't good, uh, especially in our Reformed tradition. We really believe in this idea of total depravity. We don't talk about it a lot, but we're reminded that we've all sinned because we're reminded that all of us are going to die. And we're reminded when we look at the story of Scripture that the penalty for sin is death. Now, the beauty of what God offers us through the story is that he has written, and as we looked in the past weeks at the promise of his return, is that Jesus is the only one who is good, and it's he that's going to rescue us from this messiness we find ourselves in. And to be really straight up and honest, there's only one time bad happened to good, uh, and that's uh, when Jesus stood out, when he volunteered. He left his throne in heaven. He came to earth, took on flesh, and walked amongst us, and then he offered up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. I mean, it's the cross, right? I mean, it's the amazing story of how God suffered for us, that he surrendered the glory that he had in heaven, that Jesus was born into poverty here on earth, and that during his life, he was mocked as a illegitimate child to an unwed mother, was rejected by family, he was abandoned by his friends, he was falsely accused, he was even wrongly imprisoned, and then Just to continue the story, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was stripped naked, and he was hung shamefully on a cross. And what is worse is he became sin for us. It's again why we're going to lean into the season of Lent here in just a couple weeks to be reminded, and to be reminded that from dust we come and to dust we shall return, that we need the hope of what Jesus brings us. When we look at what Jesus did, we can see that there was a moment he was literally separated from the Father after he'd had a perfect lifetime of intimacy with him, even before the foundations of the world. In Matthew, we hear Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you see, Jesus came and he suffered with us. Again, I love Eugene Peterson talking about the birth of Jesus, that he came, took on flesh, and moved into our neighborhood, that he felt more pain than we'll ever feel. And yet his heavenly father watched as he did that. So again, to ask this question, maybe in a different way, so why does God allow suffering? Now I have to be honest that I can't answer directly in every situation. The known answer really isn't in so many different ways. And it's one thing I wanna be clear though, it's not that God doesn't love you. Because we know that the most pivotal scripture for all of us that we learn as a child is this, right? For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God loves us so much. He took on our misery and he took on our suffering. And he loves us so much that he was so serious, he was willing to let his own son take it, to take uh, and bear the burden of all that. Why? Because there's something better coming, right? We saw this as we saw the promise of what comes from the return of Jesus Christ in his establishment of his kingdom into eternity. I mean, what do we see when that happens? We see blessing and forgiveness and we see freedom and we see victory. But see, here as we look at scripture, you know, one of the things we can see is the Bible's very clear about our life here on earth. And it says we are gonna suffer. And it also tells us that we're gonna die. But it also tells us that we are gonna be resurrected with Christ when he returns. And for those of us who use our free will to follow Jesus, we're gonna meet him in the heavens, right? And spend eternity with him. And our suffering, as we were reminded last week, as we talked about what Christ's kingdom would look like. Remember he said this, he, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. What a promise, what a hope. Because you see, there's something better is coming. Better days ahead was what we talked about as we wrapped up the study on Revelations. You see what that means is no more loss, no more sickness, no more shame, no more physical death, no more grief, no more depression, no more abuse, no more crying, no more pain. But have to be reminded, we're not there yet. As I've said a number of times, as we look at the kingdom, it's the tension between the already and the not yet. And so we know what is to be true. It's just we have to live through that. And that's where we find ourselves right now. Because we know, at least for me, and I'm going to guess there are stories in your life where I talked with a friend who we have in common, a a young man who took his life on New Year's Day. Or I know of a conversation a friend was having with an individual because they're dealing with some very difficult abuse things that have taken place in the home. Or just a couple weeks ago, a young man that grew up in the church that I grew up in very unexpectedly passed away. And so just all that that brings to us, the reminder that yeah, and yet, how do we answer these things? And, and to be honest, in the messiness of our brokenness, we may never know the answers until we get to the other side. I mean, why do these things take place? Well, we can't answer them. I can't answer them. And the truth is, we may never know on this side of eternity. It won't be until we're with Jesus that things will become clear of what happened and why. And all of us can at any moment say that life is not fair and that life is not good. And yet I can also tell you from my own story, and I hope you can give testimony to this too, is as you walk with God, you can see him in the pain and we can see that God is good. So it's interesting that our friend Asaph here, that's writing here in Psalms, he asks the question, does God even know what's happening? Uh, and what does he tell us? Do we just keep a pure heart for nothing? Are we just going to have trouble all day and that in the morning we'll get, have more pain? And yet what he's supposed to say here in verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. You see, the problem of evil and suffering isn't contrary to the story of the Bible. It's actually very much central to what God is doing and what he has written in the word. 
And so more than anything else, our faith, our Christianity makes sense of this. It actually gives meaning to, and it actually offers a solution for how to handle the idea of evil and suffering and what we experience in those moments. You see, we know this much, that we will suffer. And yet in our suffering, we know, based on what we see in Scripture and based on the testimony of so many people, that God loves you and that he might even use your suffering. I mean, the story of Joseph, right? Joseph and his brothers. And he reminds us that what they meant for evil, our God is used for good. I know for many of us, it's the worst thing. Suffering can be, evil can be, and we wouldn't wish it on anybody. But if we go through it again, we can use it for his glory. So today, if you're hurting right now, and you're wondering where God is, I just want to remind you that you're living in the not yet, that there is something better that is coming. And so together, let's pray. God, we're grateful for these truths. We're grateful that in the midst of the uncertainty of life, that there is a constant of your love for us. We thank you just for your choice, Jesus, to give up your life willingly to rescue us, and that through your death and resurrection, and now your ascension on high to sit at the right hand of the Father, you will come someday to rescue us from the human plights that we have to push through. Thank you for the promise of this, and as we lean into the day ahead, May we sense that in a fresh and new way. We just pray it in your strong name. Amen.